0: Thank you for being here. Iowa Summer Writing Festival we will look forward to seeing you tonight for our all-festival dinner at 6 p.m. on the lower level of the Graduate Hotel. It'll be a lot of fun, so we'll see you then. For now, we are in for a moving hour together. Zach Savage is here with us for the final days of our 2018 season, and what a time we have had, friends. Zach is the author of six books of poetry, and two books of prose, the latter of which include Diving Makes the Water Deep, a memoir about cancer, teaching, and poetic friendship. His work has received a number of prestigious honors and his poems, essays, and criticism have appeared in a wide range of esteemed publications. With gratitude to you, Zach, for today's Gratitude for Time, Poetry and Moments of Thanks. Thanks, welcome. Thanks, Margaret. Am I loud? I'm allowed enough. Good. <laughs> good. Uh, let me know if not. Um, it's good to be here. It's. I'm grateful to be here. This is the, the final lecture in this 11th hour series. I've been in Iowa City the last two months. So you've, many of you have seen the lectures this week. You've seen the range that has happened. You can imagine that times two months of them, um, and all the things that have happened in this room. And we're now the last one. Um, My plan is to share some thoughts about gratitude, look at some poems together, and then see what you think. And I'll stop a couple of times as I go through the script to see if there's things you want to talk about along the way. This is just something I've been thinking about some. You've all been thinking about your own ways, I'm sure. So I hope we end today with ideas that exceed what I came in hoping we'd look at. Some of you who have been in my classes know that I have one or two rhetorical moves. One is to start off with a really good plan and then rip it up and fold it up at the end, um, rather before we even start. So with that in mind, I'm thinking before I get into what I've prepared, we could take a moment as though we're suddenly in a yoga class coming to light to think about gratitude in our own lives right now. If we were asked to write for a moment just with that as an open-ended prompt, write a poem of gratitude, where would you take it? Do you focus on the mere particulars of present being, periodic tables that we find ourselves elemental among? Do you focus on some way that today avoided a threat that was either abstract or imminent or let you avoid thinking about a threat? Or something bigger gratitude for some process that exceeds any particular of our own narrative lives we could start there and and begin to map map a periodic table of our own about if we think about gratitude in our own lives what are some ways it comes up as a reflex as a specific incident Um, maybe we'll come back to that in a bit if there's time at the end we might do some writing together Um, so i'm going to start by sharing six ideas pause for a bit, we can talk, then I'll move into some poems. My first idea is a question. I'm grateful to be here today, I might say, or thanks for coming. I mean those things, but they're also just ways of acknowledging a present and shared reality. It's not just good manners to say, I'm grateful to be here today, thanks for coming, but it can be a kind of resting response. A neutral commonplace to have a thing happen and note it and the noting doesn't respond in some other way but notes with gratitude it's a way to recognize something that merely is we say it often about anything that's not worse than it could be I'm grateful I found a parking spot I'm grateful we had more coffee filters in the cupboard so if gratitude is this involved with how we talk all the time with simply acknowledging what's real, what's around us, where we find ourselves, if it's such a linguistic habit, is it redundant to talk about gratitude and poetry at all if it's so much a part of how we're using language all the time? I'm grateful to be here today. Imagine if instead of saying I'm grateful to be here today, I start off saying uh, how much I regret this. It'd be pretty jarring to start with regret, bitterness. If gratitude is often just about acknowledging reality, if I said, I regret being here today, I'm not grateful, I wish I was anywhere else, that wouldn't just seem like an emotional thing, something about my life, but like an insult or a violence to our common or shared experience overall. And it takes a lot to preserve that tone. Imagine if I started that way, if I came up and I said, I'm not grateful to be here today, (laughs) I wish I was anywhere else. I think you'd expect the next sentence to start but it's really great to see you all, to do something to correct for that. That's what I mean about how reflexive gratitude can be in so many ways we speak. Um, it takes a lot to maintain that tone of ingratitude. So here, here's an example of that. Some of you might know, I'm going to share you a poem with you in a little bit that has the F word one time. Um, I didn't think that'd be a problem because I was initially going to share a poem that has the F word about two dozen times (laughs) So I cut that one, but we still get it once that one I was going to share you might know it's a poem called feeling fucked up by Etheridge Knight Anyone know this poem? It's great. Look up him reading it It's a love poem, but it's a love poem that starts off by missing the beloved being far away and then being mad at everything else So that's fuck the moon fuck stars fuck. You know it, it goes on. It's a litany he keeps saying F-U, to this and this and this and this. That maintains ingratitude. In contrast, there's a recent book, a younger poet named Courtney Lamar Charleston, a book called Telepathologies. He has a poem that's based off of Etheridge Knight's Feeling Fucked Up. It's an homage. Charleston does not repeat the F-word over and over again, and he still has a litany of things he's upset with. But because he doesn't precede each item with fuck. It starts to veer into something else. If I say, fuck the moon, fuck the stars, that's different than saying, fuck the moon, the stars. All right, I've gotten some profanity out of the way. Um, you see, it takes, a lot, it takes a lot to maintain ingratitude. We're often expecting a turn to say, but on the bright side, but then I realized. This can be true in poetry. Often, poetry is trying to make something real, and respond to the thing it's made real. So gratitude can be an assumed response as soon as a thing seems real. It seems as the poem is responding with gratitude to it. William Carlos Williams shows a red wheelbarrow, doesn't tell us anything about it, just the fact of its existence can be read as a celebration of what is, for the reality of those particulars. Thanks, red wheelbarrow. Thanks, Nightingale in that Ode. Gratitude can be a resting response to what's real, to a shared reality. So in a poem, it can also seem like an implied reaction. If we wrote a poem of a, of a simple image, a simple observation, it'd be easy to see that as a way of being grateful for the ability to perceive it, the ability to be in the world, for knowing that our senses won't always be perceiving it in the world. I know that's a lot of talk about reality. Don't worry, I didn't get any farther than that in philosophy. Um, Question number two, thought number two, poetry that's explicitly of gratitude needs to take things a step further if gratitude is already involved in how we're seeing anywhere we are. Beyond simple presence, beyond that resting response, beyond the assumed ambient gratitude that easily sticks its aura to any given thing, gratitude in poetry that's not about mere presence needs to go further. I'm thinking here of Donald Ravel's book, The Art of Attention. This is a great book. Ravel's a a poet. This is a book where he reflects with a lot of rigorous self-critique on the poems he has written up to that point in his life. He must have written the book in his 50s. Um, What's beautiful to me about Donald Ravel, whose poems I love throughout his career, is that after this book, The Art of Attention, where he looks back on how he was writing and with a lot of critique. His poems start to change, and I think he starts to go the places that his ideas hoped to go. This seems like an important book um, in his career. In The Art of Attention, he writes that it is simply natural that plain attention is a piety, and that unaggressive articulation of attention in poems may be a form of prayer, an instance of worship, a forwarding of peace. He says that to see the sovereignty of what is seen is quietly to worship and to articulate such worship in a poem wages peace so that's more than just good manners that starts to say, for me to say I'm grateful for us to be here tonight and mean it with the sort of intent attention that Ravel posits starts to do something starts to change something it's not just acknowledging what we're sharing but transforming it waging peace is an ambitious and bold claim for what simple attention can do Poet and essayist Leah Purpura, in her book On Looking, makes a similar case. She says If looking is a practice, a form of attention paid, which is, for many, the essence of prayer, it is the sole practice I had available to me as a child. By seeing, I called to things, and in turn, things called to me, applied me to their sight, and we became each a treasure. By seeing, I called to things, and in turn things called to me, applied me to their sight, and we became each a treasure. I love that. There's a lot of richness in that phrasing. That way she says, things applied me to their sight, that's different than thinking of vision as something we apply, something that projects or beams out from our eyes onto things. You don't project sight, but you're gathered up in how other things perceive you. The individual is posited not as an expressive node or locus, but as something that's composite by everything that's directed our way. To become each a treasure is also a beautiful phrase. We could take that as a syllabus. Stop this lecture. Become each a treasure to one another for a little while. Become each a treasure to something you find out in the world today. There's grandeur and discernment in this way of thinking about seeing. It reminds me of Walt Whitman, a poet for whom seeing things exist and saying things exist and saying thanks for things existing can seem like the same act. We could do an exercise. What would it do to Whitman's poems if you put thanks for at the start of every line? Um, I think it's an undertone or grace note, sometimes disturbingly so, in there a lot. Nathaniel Mackey uh, called this quality of Whitman a sort of totalizing providentiality. Thought number three, so bringing up prayer, bringing up Ravel or purpura, talking about attention not just as a way of acknowledging what is, but as a kind of prayer, bringing up the notion that Whitman has a totalizing providentiality, this brings some questions to mind. Providence, prayer. First, I'd like to avoid the kind of prosperity gospel that often accompanies talk about poetry and gratitude, as though it's a sign that you're morally exceptional, if you can be boisterously grateful in a blithe and blanket way, even for the hardest things. We'll talk about that more in a second. Second, thinking about providence, about prayer, raises the question of who or what we're thanking when we say thanks for. To God, universe, things themselves, some implausible and delicate action of our own senses, their brevity, and it's true that the opposite of gratitude in poetry, if we think of a poem that tries to counter gratitude, not just like the Etheridge Knight one, but that tries to get to some different tones, when I think of poems that do that, it's, not, it's often not through a response, but through the lack of an ability to respond. I'm thinking, for instance, of Wordsworth in his Dejection Ode, uh, saying, talking about a state in which uh, you see but not feel how beautiful things are. So you see, you're there, you're present with them, with the flowers in this case, but you don't feel it. Philip Larkin invokes a state in which there's nothing to think with, nothing to love or to link with. So the opposite of gratitude seems like not ingratitude, but maybe the lack of response. We could ask if gratitude needs to be directed, or if it could be a general state, a more numinous field seeking embodiment in any errant correlative, wherever the attention lights. So the work of the poetry of gratitude could be to find that general sense somewhere to roost in. To think about Poems of Gratitude more, I got a recent anthology called Poems of Gratitude, edited by Emily Fragos. The forward to this anthology, Poems of Gratitude, lines up in some ways with Ravel and Purpura. It says that gratitude is a cherishing of what is, contrasted with what has been or could be. That's interesting to me. So it suggests that I can't be grateful for what could be, or for what's potential, or for what has been, but only or primarily for what is. I'm not sure. I like the idea that you could be grateful for what never was, not just grateful that certain things didn't happen, but grateful that you imagined things in the past, whether they happened or not. Some relationship didn't work out, but you're grateful to have imagined it for a while, to have learned from it, though you might hardly think of it now and also be grateful to the past. That seems to be about more than just what is, unless we think of what is as including imagination, memory, things that typical creative nonfiction might say belong in a different genre. So the anthology emphasizes that, and, like Purpur and Ravel, it suggests that gratitude is both an emotion and a practice. She says... It necessarily includes keen awareness of the sorrow and pain that give pleasure its value. We might question if pleasure's value comes from sorrow and pain, or if pleasure's value can be its pleasure. Thought number four, staying with this anthology. It's in in several sections. A lot of the later chapters start to seem like general collections of poems around a theme. Nature, love, health. As though love is gratitude for love as though being in nature is gratitude for nature. But I also learned a lot for today from this anthology, Poems of Gratitude. For instance, it shows me some things that I think we should be wary of. I'm thinking of poems like one by Ed Hirsch, which has this big moment toward the end when he really tells us he's really grateful. He writes, And only then did I understand. And only then did I understand that it's a specific cat and every creature like him who can teach us how to praise. That's not just a final epiphany, closing up the poem in a realization. It's showing an epiphany about an epiphany. Um, the, you know I'm a, someone who can't read without wondering how I'd write it a little differently. And only, then un, and only then did I understand. You might revise that as then I understood. And only then did I understand. You might revise that as I understood. The then can be implied because it comes next. Also, this coming to understanding, it treats gratitude as an answer, a resolution. It finishes things. You had a problem, gratitude solves it. I'm more interested in the rest of these thoughts in treating gratitude as a kind of further problem. Maybe it's a solution, maybe for a moment or in a moment, but that solution doesn't eliminate complexity, but it lives among it. When i say that i'm thinking of another poem from this anthology one some of you might know by w.s merwin a poem called thanks it's a poem about the problem of gratitude you could read it as a poem of simple celebration of celebration in the face of things but that face is complicated and the poem keeps looking at it merwin writes we are saying thank you in the faces of the officials and the rich and of all who will never change that's hard thank you in the faces of all those who will never change it becomes a kind of curse Um, it becomes an acceptance of what we can't do it's different than just noting what exists or performing some virtuous conversion of suffering into cheerfulness the poem ends with nobody listening we are saying thank you thank you we are saying and waving dark though it is Waving dark though it is again. I could hear that as a, just a celebratory thing I'm waving to you through the darkness But if I think of that actual gesture waving in the dark, that's that's a gesture of dislocation or disorientation You're trying to find a light switch. You're trying to find if there's anyone who can see you or find you It's gratitude, but it's not simple. It's not an easy resolution It keeps things in motion, but not through it keeps things in motion Thought number five Um, That disorientation, waving in the dark, that gets at what's most interesting to me about the anthology. It shows that gratitude is often not about merely acknowledging reality, but about strangeness, about wonder-marveling confusion. Strangeness, in a lot of these poems, is deeply implicated with postures of thankfulness. Here's Thomas Traherne. Strange, all, and new to me, but that they should be, sorry, strange all and new to me, but that, but that they mine should be who nothing was, that strangest of all. Here's Derek Walcott. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Here's Anna Kaminska, translated by Drabik and Curzon. It's strange that green valleys are still here. It's strange that clouds here still follow the sun it's strange that we still want so much to love and cry wallace stevens and there i found myself more truly and more strange whitman what stranger miracles are there this is all in the same slim anthology you see the posture even when the word isn't used tying gratitude to perception of strangeness william carlos williams says that these things astonish me beyond words Lucille Clifton writes that you are the oddness in us. You are the oddness in us. In us. What a wonderful play on goddess. You are the oddness in us. Yusuf Kuminyaka marvels at the chance grace that survival amounts to. He writes, I don't know what made the grass sway seconds before the Viet Cong raised its soundless rifle. It's a poem where he's thinking about his war experiences and it keeps going back to I don't know what in these moments of where he barely survived, I don't know what. You could hear that I don't know what as God, but Kuminaka is a poet who would say God if he meant God. Um, He might mean God, but he also means something stranger here and emphasizing that I don't know what. Strangeness at the heart of gratitude. Number six, finally. uh, From this anthology, here's another poem It's that strangeness, another one from W.S. Merwin called For the Anniversary of My Death. Already some strangeness in that title, projecting into the future. We might talk more about time in a minute and how time connects to this. For the anniversary of my death, looking forward to a time past my death when I, I, at least a year past it, writing that now, writing from the present into that future, writing for it. The poem starts every year without knowing it. I have passed the day When the last fires will wave to me There's that waving again in the dark The poem ends as today, writing after three days of rain Hearing the wren sing and the falling cease And bowing, not knowing to what So, Kumanyaka says, I don't know what Merwin says, bowing, not knowing to what These are poems of gratitude I'd say that even if they weren't in the anthology but they're not ones of certainty. There's mis- there's mystery in there. And and darkness, the strangeness of bowing, not knowing to what. The last fire is waving. So this is different than gratitude being simply about what is, or else it means that what is involves a lot of other stuff. It's not just about acknowledging reality, but some strangeness in the heart of it. I, I know this from my own life. I Margaret mentioned that I've, I've had some cancer years. I wrote a book about, well, I wrote a book before I knew how long those years would be, um, which made it easier to talk about them. Um, and I was often annoyed in the times when I was sickest, when people or self-help books would tell me I should be grateful for it, grateful for having my life feel dismantled in many ways at 30, grateful for all the types of loss that were involved in that. Um, so, no, I'm happy to say I'm not grateful for that. But there are times where I can feel the strangeness of it in a way that doesn't feel like bitterness that feels like a way to marvel so there's my overture there's some opening themes Uh, thinking about is gratitude simply about noting presence any presence it's almost an implied response to anything we might say i'm grateful to be here or can gratitude be more than that? It can emphatically move toward a way of waging peace, of activating something in what's present. And then I looked, talked about some poems that mention gratitude as a solution, and others that treat it like it's part of a larger question, like it doesn't solve anything but brings us closer to strangeness. I want to look at a few poems in detail together. He, he, through the whole book, he goes for it. I, it's a great, if you're you know, writing poems of happiness and joy, can be a, a hard thing to do ask any 14 year old they'll tell you it's easier to write a poem about how sad and alone you are Um, some of us keep doing that and we become poets Um, so he he goes for it throughout the whole book and this title poem it's a long poem many pages and i feel that's sort of like where he's already gone for it a lot and now he's gonna try to go for everything else he's gonna turn the vacuum cleaner on and get it all into this poem Um, it's a long poem it's near the end of the book it's an effusive meditation it starts us it starts out by asking us to bear with it a great starting gesture Um, it treats every reader as a friend it starts friends you will bear with me today an imperative future tense friends you will bear with me today the bearing there's so much about plants bearing forth in here so you feel that fruition that productivity friends you will bear with me today for i have awakened a vision follows in this poem from a dream it's a vision of a bird it's full of motion in the first 17 lines of the poem which are pretty short lines you get all these verbs shimmied, stomped, coochie-cooing shuffling, bristled, drifting opened and closed its wings jutting, turning, flashing a lot of action the bird tells him to bellow forth a cry of gratitude the poem tries to answer that charge there's a lot in it he says he wants to holler the realest place I know, to take us there, he says it will make you gasp. It might make you want to stay alive, even. Thank you. And it is a poem that that shows death. It shows people who he's grateful that they that they passed because of the suffering they were in and the relief that that passing brought, and also people who survived who got clean or sober and have gone on to other lives. Um, so it's not shying away, even though it's very effervescent effusive throughout I want to look at this seventh stanza though for its emphatic truth of gesture by this point the poem has been through a lot of birth and death and life and nature and marveling all garlanded with morning glory and wisteria bloom wisteria blooms trombones all the way down here's the seventh stanza in full some of you have copies I'll just read it here thank you To the woman barefoot in a gaudy dress For stopping her car in the middle of the road And the tractor-trailer behind her And the van behind it Whisking a turtle off the road Thank you, God of gaudy Thank you, Paisley Panties Thank you, the organ up my dress Thank you, the sheer dress you wore kneeling in my dream At the creek's edge and the light swimming through it The coy-kissing halos in the glassy air the room in my mind with the blinds drawn, where we nearly injure each other, crawling into the shawl of the other's body. Thank you for saying it plain. Fuck each other dumb. What an an insult and cowardice on my part after he says saying it plain and I put a star in there. After everything that's happening in history right now, for me to shy from that, I'm sorry. But I was, I got shy. so this, this lyricism can be on the edge of cartoon, it's animated, all that motion um, Those koi, kissing, jumping up in a chorus line So I find it really refreshing at the end when he moves from the euphemism the cartoonish purple euphemism of nearly injure each other crawling into the shawl of, each, of, of the other's body to saying it plain um, Still Things are mysterious, things are blending together despite that plainness. Who's doing the doing in the end? It most directly seems to be about this actual person, a woman saving the turtle. But it's also happening in a dream. The organ is up my dress, but it's a dress you wore. So things are blending together. The self is changing. As much as this seems to be a specific fantasy, It's also about a fantasy of relation, more generally, of a way that seeing someone, and you know, and I think he, this is a poet or a poem that is, it's not not shying from how this could seem like an imposition to see someone and fantasize about them, Um, but it's also showing that as part of reality, and showing that the reality comes into one's own life, in the room, the room in my mind with the blinds drawn. The room in my mind with the blinds drawn. That's like waving in the dark. So in contrast with more focused moments of gratitude to see one thing and feel grateful for it, this shows a lively mix. It's like one of those flower baskets that has a lot of candy flowers in it, some champagne bottles. And you can eat it all. Eat the flowers, eat the candy, pop the champagne. I'll move forward a little quickly. Um, So what I want to try to do i made a, a bunch of poems i'll send you this list if you want it you can get in touch with me um, but i wanted to move by kind of transitive property to trace a certain gesture and what i want to look at is saving turtles i want to save some turtles here today here we have a poem about gratitude A stands about gratitude in a long poem that shows the saving of a turtle so i thought well maybe there's something to saving turtles that could show us more gratitude so the second turtle i'd like to save is from deborah diggs's poem damascus Um, the title tells you that this will be about religion in some way in an elusive way Uh, and you might think of paintings on the subject of of saul struck down on the road to damascus say in caravaggio's version with the horsey rump floodlit in the foreground which wh Auden writes about so there's like there's a lot of history just in that title Um, compared to Gay's poem this one stays with one image longer not in a simplistic way to say like let me just meditate on my cool paisley coffee mug and feel gratitude but in a way that uses it as a portal to get somewhere else and this is the poem that gets to time especially if I were making a class out of this I would say Gay's poem gets us to different mental interior spaces, to fantasy, to processing one thing seen back on your own and the self expands or changes through that. This one sticks with an image and gets to time through it. Here's the poem. Split by the light, wrought golden, A thousand cars stunned sun-blind, crawling westward, I remembered a day I stopped for an old snapper as huge as when embracing ghosts you round your arms. Who did I think I was to lift him like a pond or ballast from the slosh of whole swamp, tarred as he was, undaunted, that thrashed and hissed at the worst place to try to cross Where the road plunged east, the lumber truck swept daily down from the blue hills past winter-ravaged toys blanching by makeshift crosses. An old sea shimmered in the asphalt. Spared over the mirage to ancient footpaths, he lunged again and spit, turning his oddly touching head toward the project of the steep embankment. Such were the times, hardwired the way, cross here or die, die crossing." Um, I like this. I I mean, the sound, I think, is is wonderful, wonderfully rich. I love the variety of different phrases. Those makeshift crosses make me think of this whole image as a kind of makeshift cross, an action added to a scene. There's strangeness to see the turtle as uh, an old sea shimmered in the asphalt. That feels like an image to me that's wonderfully strange, but also just accurate or precise. Um, The way that his oddly touching head, is I think that's wonderful. I think that seems like a physical description of how a turtle's head looks, but it's also oddly touching in that it moves me. It's strange that I'm moved by it. Uh, The poet Carl Phillips says of this poem, it's the snapping turtle that's hardwired and not, in my terms, our reaction of gratitude, our feeling about it. It's the snapping turtle that's hardwired. It has chosen its path by instinct, not by any desire to risk crossing a major highway, indeed without knowledge of any risk. It's the speaker who's daring, the speaker who has some desire. Who did I think I was to lift him? She's aware of the risks. He could bite her for one. He's thrashed and hissing, and she herself has to cross the dangerous highway with this wild cargo in hand. I present this saved turtle as gratitude of an act chosen, difficult as it is, of desire made manifest, and how that puts this poem in contact with time through ancient history and forces that are not human, It's not the easy grace of a buffet, put the sushi down next to your chili, but of complication that we get to touch for a moment. We could think about that if Gay's poem makes the self more multiple. Does this make the self more particular, more singular in this action? At the same time, it makes that singular self connected to a sweep of history and nature. That means it's not about me exactly. It's not about my identity. It's not about my background. It's about me doing a thing in a moment. This is Brian Blanchfield, a contemporary poet whose work I love. I recommend, especially if you're uh, maybe before you read his poems, he has a book of essays called Proxies. Some folks in here might know this. Um, They're essays in the traditional way where each is like on a topic, on this, on that. And his gimmick, or gambit, as he was writing them, was to write only from memory, not to look anything up, to let himself get things wrong, um, to have mistakes, to misquote things. The back of the book has a list of corrections, of errata, where he does give everything, he, you know, that it, that, this is the actual statistic, this is the actual quote. What's beautiful about it as a book is, he, I think without knowing it, or at least that's the impression, it, the book becomes an autobiography, it becomes a memoir, By starting off writing about all these different things and so it suggests that if you're writing essays it can become about you even if it's not even if you're not sitting down to write here's the hardest thing that happened to me here's what I think about this or that start off writing about periodic tables of elements and it will become about you in some way you couldn't have expected I think in this poem you see a similar approach to subject to circling around things to locate something I want to bring this up in my class system this would be thinking about um, presenting gratitude in spatial terms more so if the ross gay one is about thinking about fantasy imagination the self becoming multiple or mixing and if the deborah diggs poem gets us to time in a way that goes beyond a moment this is one that really stays with spatial arrangements uh, it starts i mean you can tell the way it's laid out that he's thinking about space right a strawberry on the lawn, a Tuesday, the tortoise goes inside or comes out, always, either, twice. A two's strawberry on the little lawn a man has mown. Another man enjoys the study of what she'll do, what she does she first undertakes to do, as presentation of data. Or so the suitor lays the finding out Habitat comes by habit, a home by homing in Sometimes she takes it And it's won't, not can't if she doesn't Not always Tuesday The man cottons to deliberateness, reluctantly The cap off wet from the sink With or without a little song His friend admires this most about the man their closeness sweet and warm, losing even their eyes in age in one another's company. The tortoise, this frank, unprotected penis, emerges, pulls herself to the singular fruit. I didn't bring in the YouTubes that I would like to send you later that show uh, turtles like trying to eat a tomato and the tomato keeps rolling away and they keep going at it. I know a tortoise and a turtle, they aren't the same thing, but that's the difference between gratitude and thanks. We could get these distinctions. Um, do you, I mean, I, there's a lot we could say here, um, but I put my notes on the, other, on the podium by now, so it's hard to get there. Um, one thing that this poem shows is that gratitude is variable. We see this repeated scene, this habitual scene. Habitat comes by habit. Um, Home comes by homing in things aren't known, but he uses that word Deliberateness things aren't known, but we deliberately circle around them. So there's You don't know if it will happen. You don't know how it will happen, but things are in relation the lawn is What the arena? Where this interaction could take place? Um, It might bring to mind the idiom of coming out of one's shell and, that, and it tells you that it's going to be frank, which is kind of like Gay saying he's going to say it plain. We could think about that if gratitude often happens as a kind of volta or a cutting in, a turn, that says, now I'm going to cut through everything and say what I'm grateful for. Um, there's a, wh- one of my favorite poems that we could talk about here is James Wright has a couple poems where he have the refrain, uh, my life was never as precious to me as it is now? Is that it? Mark, what's the line? My life was never as precious to me as it is now? Yeah. Anyway, it's a line of, 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 I'll cut it in and it'll be in the email follow-up, that kind of cuts through the scene to say my life was never so precious in moments that, where that doesn't follow logically. Um, in the first poem where he says it, it's where he's locked up in the drunk tank um, in jail for the night so my anthology of turtles and gratitude could go on um, melvin b tolson has a poem that also gets to strangeness and thanks in turtles really showing how true everything i'm saying is tolson's poem starts strange but true is the story of the sea turtle and the shark kimiko han has a poem in which suddenly you see these lines he picks up a box turtle in the middle of the road he's 52 but believes it will bring childhood back in a box. But I'd like to end a little bit differently, aware of time, and then uh, look at one more together, then chat about whatever you'd want, talk more afterward. Um, I wanted to look at a poem that doesn't have a turtle exactly. I was trying to think of poems that have a gratitude that is about simple presence, as I started off saying but that also is about emphatic presence, presence that goes toward prayer or transformation. And that also has strangeness. And that also, I mean, it seems like the risk, if I was writing these poems myself, I'd worry that they excluded too much of the world. All the things of the world one should not be grateful for or could not be grateful for. All the things beyond me, grateful for my own life, ability to have life, ability to have a privileged perception of things. And yet, Poems that are in one's life, that are anchored in a life and also looking outward. So I thought, I, I thought of this one. Um, some folks might know this. If we had more time, um, I would invite us to write a poem that starts with this first line and then a comma, not a period. Um, so you'll see what I mean in here, how it has particularized individual attention to things. It has a social awareness It has a sense of mere presence and also of emphatic presence or prayerful presence. Some of you might know this. At least, this is Raymond Carver. You probably know his stories maybe more than the poems. Poems are great summer things to read in summer. I thought of this also because this is where we are, the end of the festival. One more morning. I want to get up early one more morning before sunrise, before the birds even. I want to throw cold water on my face and be at my work table when the sky lightens and smoke begins to rise from the chimneys of the other houses. I want to see the waves break on this rocky beach, not just hear them break, as I did all night in my sleep. I want to see again the ships that pass through the strait from every seafaring country in the world, old, dirty, freighters just barely moving along, and the swift new cargo vessels painted every color under the sun that cut the water as they pass. I want to keep an eye out for them and for the little boat that plies the water between the ships and the pilot station near the lighthouse. I want to see them take a man off the ship and put another up on board. I want to spend the day watching this happen and reach my own conclusions. I hate to seem greedy, I have so much to be thankful for already, but I want to get up early one more morning at least and go to my place with some coffee and wait, just wait to see what's going to happen. Uh, that does, there's a lot in there. We could talk about this. The the houses, the other chimneys. Other people are up in each in their individuated aloneness. The ships are coming from many places. You know, he's living um, in Washington, Port Angeles, often. Um, at the end, it, gratitude doesn't solve things. It's not a resting place, but you feel constant desire that at least doesn't end. You can't satisfy that at least with one more day. Um, but you can take it into seeing what's going to happen. You know, It broadens outward at the end. It's not like saying, I figured everything out, and I'm grateful. What's going to happen, he knows, is not simple. It's not just things to be grateful for. Um, so it's more as though the gratitude is getting one into position. We have a couple minutes. Lots of ways we could go with this. I'm curious if there are things I things got absolutely wrong that you'd like to point out, and things or other places this takes your thoughts. Um, what are you thinking? Things about these poems you wanna, you noticed? Um, there's a lot in all of them. We could talk line by line in different ways. It's hard. It's I think like so. I think of we talked in the prosody class I taught over the weekend about in John Keats's Ode on a Grecian Urn, and where at the peak moment of happiness, where he just says more happy love, more happy happy love. The writing, that is, that's, this isn't a poem that starts, thou still unravished bride, thou still unravished bride of quietness, thou foster child of silence and slow time, Sylvan historian, you can't thus express, you know, this very elaborate, intricate, supple, um, sound starting off. And then when he's happy though, more happy love, more happy, happy love. That's bad writing. Happy as a adjective that you repeat three times, love twice, but it is, uh, imitative how things can feel. So maybe a problem is how if your feeling can feel like the cliche is the truest part. How to represent or phrase that? So Keats it works in Keats's poem because there are 48 other lines that that do a lot of other stuff. So that is that cliche, the cliched language is embedded in a lot of other action. We're about out of time. I'm grateful for you being here. I hope the rest of your day is great, and you know, dinner and dancing tonight and all the rest of that. Um, Thank you very much.